there's an old, uh, old story, an old joke about the two guys that uh, hadn't seen each other in a long time. They got together and they went out fishing. It was a beautiful morning. The lake was still. And literally, they were only ones on the lake. And so they were out fishing in their boat. And the one guy was up at the front. And he began casting along the shore and just kind of reeling it in. He'd cast and kind of reel it in. His buddy was in the back of the boat, and he could hear him kind of rummaging around, figured he was just getting his tackle and stuff together and was getting ready to start fishing. And before he knew it, he just heard this huge explosion, boom, and he turns around, and all of a sudden he sees fish, dead fish floating to the top of the surface, and his buddy with a net just trying to scoop them in as fast as he could. And he goes, what in the world are you doing? He goes, well, I don't know what you're doing, but I'm fishing. He goes, you're fishing. About that time, he lights another stick of dynamite, and he throws it into the lake, and boom, and all these fish come floating to the top, and he's scooping them into his net. And his buddy goes, look, man, you can't do that. That's illegal. We're not allowed to do that. About that time, his buddy takes another stick of dynamite, lights it, and he just throws it in the guy's lap. And he says, are you going to talk or are you going to fish? <laughs> you know? Now, I, I say that for this reason, because as you go through, as we go through the message today, you'll kind of understand what I'm talking about, because I've actually subtitled this, Are You Going to Talk or Are You Going to Fish? The last several weeks, we began a series several weeks ago, um, actually, I think the first Sunday of the month, called Loving the World Around Us. And as we began, we, we began to look at the greatest gift that we could give to those who are far from God, and that is just an introduction to the God who loves them more than they could ever imagine. And as we talked that day, we talked about how it's important it is to begin to move from that which is comfortable to that which is unknown, to move from our own little circles of comfort to move to those places that God may take us, may, may bring us to in our life, places where people need to hear the message of Christ. The week, the next week after that, John Michael spoke and did a great job in helping us to understand the presence of power. And he began to really set things up so that the week after I was able to talk more about the Holy Spirit's place in our life. And the fact that we've got to learn how to plug into the source of power. Because as we go and as we share, we don't go alone. We're not in this alone. And we go in the power of the Spirit. And the things we're going to learn today, I think, are even going to bring that um, and help us to understand that even more deeply. And that's my prayer. So, if you've got your Bibles, open them up to Luke chapter 5. If you don't have a Bible, there's maybe one under a seat in front of you. Now, we were actually fairly full in first service, which was good. I know we have lots of schools out, lots of people traveling, a lot of families on vacation. So, please pray for our families. Uh, please pray for this week as BBS. But Luke chapter 5, you can just kind of turn there and hold that, because I want to kind of set the stage uh, for you for just a moment. It's probably been just a short time um, since Jesus had first met Peter, Andrew, James, and John. It could have been a few weeks, could have been a few months, but it hasn't been a very long time since Jesus had met these guys. The Gospel of John tells us that Peter had first been introduced to Jesus by his brother Andrew. And the two of them, along with James and John, had traveled with Jesus through Capernaum as well as Galilee. 
But for whatever reason, this wasn't the time for Peter to stop and drop and follow. And so Peter and the others go back to their fishing business. So they've been with Jesus, visited with him, talked with him, met him. But they go back to their fishing uh, business. In fact, we know from Luke chapter 4, verses 38 through 39, that Jesus visited Simon Peter's home and had even healed his mother-in-law who had a high fever. And so up until this point of our story that's found today in Luke chapter 5, I believe that Peter had probably been like a lot of church people today. He was just kind of a part-timer. He knew who Jesus was. He had met him. He had spent time with him. He had even witnessed a miracle. But his relationship with Jesus was just kind of on the surface. It was still in those shallows. Fairly uncommitted and pretty casual. But all that was about to change. You see, Jesus was about to call him to something deeper. Now, I'm going to be reading out of the Message Bible today, but we're going to be looking at Luke chapter 5, just the first 11 verses. So follow along as I read. Once when he, he being Jesus, was standing on the shore of Lake Gennesaret, it was also called Lake Tiberias or the Sea of Galilee, the crowd was pushing in on him to better hear the word of God. He noticed two boats tied up. The fishermen had just left them and were out scrubbing their nets. He climbed into the boat that was Simon's and asked him to put out a little from the shore. Sitting there, using the boat for a pulpit, he taught the crowd. When he finished teaching, he said to Simon, push out into the deep water and let your nets out for a catch. Simon said, Master, man, we've been fishing hard all night and haven't caught even a minnow. But if you say so, I'll let out the nets. It was no sooner said than done, a huge haul of fish straining the nets past capacity. They waved to their partners in the other boat to come help them. They filled both boats, nearly swamping them with the catch. Simon Peter, when he saw it, he fell to his knees before Jesus. Master, leave. I'm a sinner and can't handle this holiness. Leave me to myself. When they pulled in that catch of fish, all overwhelmed Simon and everyone with him. It was the same with James and John, Zebedee's sons, co-workers with Simon. Jesus said to Simon, there is nothing to fear. From now on, you'll be fishing for men and women. They pulled their boats up on the beach, left them, nets and all, and followed him. Here's what was happening. Peter and his friends had been fishing all night. And now they're up on the shore cleaning the nets. It had been a rough night. It had been a long night. They had worked hard, but literally they hadn't caught a single thing. But then Jesus comes along and things begin to get interesting. You see, as Jesus is standing on the shore, a crowd begins to gather. And so Jesus begins to teach. He begins to preach to these people. And as he does, the crowd increases and they begin to push in on him, and so he gets into Simon Peter's boat, and he asks him to push out into the water just a little off the shore, allowing him space and also giving the crowd that had gathered a better chance to hear him speak. Jesus continues to preach for a while, and when he's done, the people kind of scatter, and they head to their homes. 
It's now about midday. And Jesus turns to Peter and simply says, take your boat back out into the deep water. Let's go out to where you were, out into the deep, and let down your nets for a catch. Now, there's all kinds of reasons that Peter could have given for not wanting to do this. I mean, first of all, Jesus was a nice guy. He was an acquaintance at this point, but he wasn't a fisherman. I mean, Jesus was a carpenter turned preacher. So when it came to fishing, Jesus should leave the fishing to guys like Peter. I'm, I mean, that's probably going through his, through his thoughts and in his head. Second of all, it's the wrong time of the day for fishing there. It's too hot. And besides, Peter and his friends are tired. They've been out all night and they want to get some rest. But in spite of that, I can picture Peter saying, look, man, okay, Jesus, look, I'm tired. We've been fishing all night. We didn't catch a thing. I don't want you to be disappointed if we don't catch anything. But because you have said, I will, I will go and we'll head out. So he puts out into the deep water, lets down his nets, and then it happens. There's so many fish that the nets begin to break. So Peter calls for backup. Everyone's blown away and, at how many fish they have just brought on board their ships. And Peter, Peter's blown away as well. And I believe that at this point, the reality of who Jesus is or might be begins to move him. I mean, he's been with him. He's traveled just a little bit with him. He witnessed a miracle when his mother-in-law was healed of her high fever. And I believe at this point his heart is moved from the shallows into the deep. And at that moment he falls on his knees. He declares his sinfulness and Jesus' holiness. And they all decide to leave their boats, their businesses, and follow Jesus. Peter went at this point from knowing who Jesus was to starting the process of just really knowing him. Here's the thing. Jesus called them that day to more. I mean, he called them to more. I mean, he challenged them to a different way of life, a different way of fishing that they had ever done before. And so when the day was done, they had to answer this one simple question, are you going to talk or are you going to be fishers of men? Are you just going to talk about it or are you going to do it? And I believe it's the same question that all of us who have taken Jesus as our Lord and Savior are going to have to answer. Are we going to fish or are we just going to talk? Paul Harvey once said, and I really like this, he says, Christians too often forget that they are supposed to be fishers of men, not just keepers of the aquarium. And let me tell you, there's too many churches today that just act like an aquarium. They just kind of take care of the fish that are there, and they don't worry about the ones that are out there who need to come in, who need to be saved. So let me give us today a couple observations, and then a few things that we need to understand before we close today. Observation number one. There's something that I discovered about this passage this week that I hadn't realized before. And it's this. Jesus didn't tell Peter to catch fish. He told him to let down the nets for a catch. Now, 
I was telling somebody after first service that this really wasn't what I'd planned on preaching, but as I was studying this and going through this, and as I was, I was reading through some things, this just jumped out. I forget who I had read who had talked about this, but this, this principle just jumped out to me, and so I said, man, this is the way i got to go. You see, Jesus didn't tell Peter to catch fish. He told him to let down his nets. He didn't say, okay, Peter, it's, it's midday. None of us have eaten. So, Peter, why don't you, let's take the boat out to where you were. Let's go out into the deep. Let's see if we can catch some fish. And if you can catch some fish, then we can come back. We can have a fish fry, and everybody's going to be happy because their stomachs are going to be filled. But we may catch them, or we may not. After all, you didn't catch anything all night. That's not what Jesus said. He said, go to the deep, let down your nets for a catch. Here's the thing. Jesus wasn't telling Peter what might happen. He was telling Peter what was going to happen. You get that? He wasn't telling Peter what might happen. He was telling Peter what was going to happen, which meant that it wasn't up to Peter. Okay, that's the cool thing. It wasn't up to Peter. It wasn't up to chance. It wasn't going to be dumb luck if they caught something. Instead, it was up to Jesus. It was up to him. Here's the principle that I believe Jesus was teaching here, and it's this. When we are obedient to the call on his call on our life, he will supply the fish. He will bring the people into our lives who need an introduction to the God who loves them. Did you get that? When we are obedient to the call of God on our life, get this. He's the one that supplies. It's not up to us. We're just told to go. He's the one that supplies. Peter was told, you just let down your nets. The catch is going to be there. You don't have to worry about it. I'm going to supply. And let me tell you, every day of our life, this is what I believe. If you have given your life to Jesus Christ, if he is your Lord and Savior, and you have surrendered to him every day of your life, I believe people come into your life who need Jesus, who need a friend, who need someone just to talk to, who need someone who can pour into them. Every day of our life, I believe there are people there. And when we are obedient to the call, he supplies and when we are actually obedient to the call and we know he's going to supply, we will see them. The problem comes when we think it's still our responsibility and we have to be the one to, to supply. And when Jesus told us to go and make disciples in Matthew 28, he was teaching this very same, very same principle. When we obey, he supplies. Here's the cool thing. When we go and share out of obedience to his call, even though we're tired, even though we've been there before, people's lives will be changed, not because of who we are, but because of who he is. And whether it's one or a thousand, we will be a success in his eyes, and God's kingdom will never be the same again. And so understand, he just wants us to be obedient. And when we are obedient, he supplies they will be there. But the second observation is this. There were two other things that happened that day that were so significant that they caught the attention of everyone that was there. And the first was this. 
Peter changed his view of himself. I mean, Peter's view of himself changed that day. You see, up until this time, having a net full of fish was Peter's life goal. It was how he measured his happiness. It was how he measured his success. His life was centered around his boat, his business, his time on the water, and fish. But now he's got more fish than he knows what to do with. And he realizes that this isn't what will ultimately make him happy. He realizes that it's time to stop talking fish and it's time to really get with the business of fishing for that which will last for an eternity. And that's the souls of men and women. But the second thing that happened was this. He not only changed his view of himself, but he also changed his view of Jesus. His view of Jesus changed. He and his friends had just pulled in the biggest haul of fish they'd ever seen in their whole lives. And instead of shouting and going, hallelujah, man, and let's have a fish fry. Peter falls to his knees at the feet of Jesus. And he basically says this, I'm a sinner, God, and you're not. I'm a sinner and you're not. You are holy. And I am not worthy to stand in your presence. You see, in that moment he realized that Jesus was more than just a traveling preacher. Jesus was more than just an acquaintance. He was someone he could give his life to and someone he needed to follow. And in that moment, he decided to go from the shallow to the deep. He decided to go from the casual to the committed. So with that said, here's some things that we have to understand. First of all, everyone in this room, everyone, including myself, everyone at some point needs to fall to your knees, acknowledge your sinfulness, and acknowledge Jesus' holiness. Every one of us. At some point in our lives, we need to fall to our knees, we need to acknowledge that we are a sinful person, and we need to acknowledge that he is a holy one. And we need to start putting things in perspective. Now, why do I say that? It's because there are those in this room or who will hear this through the website who are a lot like Peter. I mean, your relationship with Jesus is still pretty casual, maybe even part-time. And you're content to remain in the shallows. Why? Because get this, man, in the shallows, there's no risk. There's no risk in the shallows. In the shallows, you can remain in that which is comfortable. In the shallows, life seems a lot easier. But here's the thing. Becoming a gift bearer of the greatest gift we could ever give. Moving from the comfortable to the unknown. Plugging into the power of the Spirit in our lives. Becoming fishers of men and women. Won't happen until we realize and acknowledge our sin and His holiness. Until we move from the shallows and to the deep. Because get this. It is in the deep that we learn obedience. It's in the deep that we learn obedience. You see, obedience to the call of Christ on our life comes from a heart that is surrendered to the authority of Jesus. You know the other interesting thing about this? Where was the fish found? It wasn't in the shallows. It was in the deep. We need to move from the shallow to the deep and begin to learn the obedience of God. You see, it's no longer about me, what I want, what I desire. Now it's all about him and doing his will in and through our lives. 
That's why I like Paul's words in Romans 12, 1 and 2. And so, dear brothers and sisters, I plead with you to give your bodies to God because of all he has done for you. Let them be a living and holy sacrifice, the kind he will find acceptable. This is truly the way we worship him. Don't copy the behavior and customs of this world, but let God transform you, excuse me, into a new person by changing the way you think. Then you will learn to know God's will for you, which is good and pleasing and perfect. We just need to fall to our knees. We need to fall and say, God, I'm, I'm a sinful person, but you're holy. And thank you for accepting me and using me. And why is it important that we do it now? Because the Bible says one day we all will do it. And at that point, it will be too late. In Philippians 2, it says, And every knee shall bow, and every tongue confess that he is Lord, to the glory of the Father. But second thing is this, we need to understand, and that is people are always the priority. People are always the priority. I think Jesus desperately wanted these guys, as well as all of us, to understand that this life is all about people. It's not about programs, even though there's nothing wrong with programs. It's not about keeping the right procedures, even though that's not necessarily inherently wrong. It's about people. It's taking walks with people. It's caring more about other people than about ourselves. As we've said before, it's having that radical inclusiveness for people, even when they look different, talk different, act different, vote different, smell different. And so I believe that Jesus is asking all of us to choose a new way of life. I mean, we can choose to just talk about why we can't fish, or we can become fishers of men and women. We can choose to be a successful business person, or we can get all over the business of sharing the good news of the God who loves us more than we could ever know, and who wants us to come into his love and to his grace. Jesus said in Matthew chapter 5, verse 16, Let your light shine before others in such a way that they may see your good works and then glorify your Father who is in heaven. This morning as I was going back through this and as I was studying before I came over, uh, as I read back through this, the phrase that stuck out to me this morning was this, in such a way. In such a way. Let your light shine before others in such a way. Now, why did he say that? Well, this is what I think. In such a way. Because our light will either shine on people and help point them to God. Or we will keep our light to ourselves and in essence deny the people around us a relationship with the God who loves them. In such a way. Let your light shine in such a way that, that people are drawn to him, not repelled by it. And why is Jesus so convinced that living this way is really the better option? Well, I believe for two reasons. One is because this is the way God's kingdom gets built. It's the way his kingdom gets built. The, let me tell you, the stakes are way too high for us to put anything but people in the top spot. And second of all, because it's also the way our souls get satisfied. This is what I believe, and I think Jesus knew, that, knew this. I think it's, 
If you and I will build a lifestyle around accepting people, getting to know people, caring for people, serving, listening to, embracing, befriending, and exposing people to spiritual things, guess what happens? We will never crave the old life again. We'll never crave it. Why? Because the, the new life that we have is so much better. And we just want others to know about it. But the third thing is this, keep the focus on, on their potential. Keep the focus on their potential. It didn't seem to matter to Jesus that his soon-to-be disciples' first response to his commands were just a little south of obedient. But Jesus saw what these guys could become once they chose to live this new way of life. I mean, he has this uncanny ability to look past their obvious flaws and envision them for what they could become once the power of God was released in their lives. So let me ask you, what do you see when you look at others? Seriously, what do you see? What do you see when you look at others? When you look at those, that person that's in the cubicle next to you at work or in the office next to you or on the metro as you're on your way to, to work or whatever, maybe at the sporting event or at school, what do you see when you see people? What do you look at? I mean, do you see them for who they are and what they've done? Or do you see them for what they could become if Jesus got a hold of their heart? Because let me tell you, there's a difference. Because if you only look at who they are and what they've done and their flaws and their sin, you will never pour into them. But if you see them for what they can become when Jesus gets a hold of their heart, man, you will want to pour into them. And that's the difference. So what do you see? What do you look for? What do you look at? Let me ask you. What was it in your life that Jesus looked past in order to accept, embrace, and enfold you in his grace? Because I guarantee you, every one of us here has at least one thing, if not many, that Jesus looked past in order to embrace you and enfold you and accept you into his family. Why? Because he saw what you could become when you really surrendered and turned your life over to him. Let me tell you, I hope we all approach people with the same radical inclusiveness, the same eye for potential that we are so grateful Jesus had for us. After all, he saw something valuable in our lives that he was willing to die for right in the middle of our sinfulness. And then lastly, remember God saved you for a purpose. God saved you for a purpose and it's a purpose that includes more than your own salvation. It includes being salt and light in a rotting and dark world. Why? Because I believe people are the only thing we'll be taking with us to heaven. You're saved for a purpose that's greater than you and greater than your own salvation. A purpose that includes being, being that person who pours into somebody else. Understanding that when you're obedient to God, he's going to provide those opportunities because he's the one that supplies. It's been about maybe five and a half years. I may be off on that, but Roughly when my father-in-law 
passed away from Parkinson's. My father-in-law um, was an extremely intelligent man. He had his PhD in chemical engineering, worked for conical oil, was fairly high up in conical oil. And he was a thinker. He was a lot like some of, I told in our first service, it reminded me a lot of like Mike Ambroso, just that thinker, that sharp individual. My father-in-law, at some point, I, it was somewhere around the time I met Lucy or right before, but my father-in-law began to move from the shallow to the deep. He began to move from the casual to the committed, and all of a sudden, Jesus really began to get a hold of his heart. He got into a life group or a small group in their church, and it was a navigator's class called 27. Great, great study. And it really just took him into the deeper waters in his life. My father and I was also a runner. Uh, even at the age of 50, he was ranked nationally in his age group. He competed literally at some points all over the country. I remember when Lucy and I first got married, you got to remember they lived in Ponca City, Oklahoma, right? North, northern central part of Oklahoma. And this was uh, Fourth of July weekend, and I was there, and it was 103 out, and he ran 13 miles in, at 1 o'clock in the afternoon. That's the kind of guy he was. On the weekends, he ran thir 13 every day, and during the week, he ran 6 to 7 at lunch every day. That's just his life. But my father-in-law, when he moved from the shallows to the deep, all of a sudden, he began to understand what we've been talking about today. And so he saw a young guy who started working for Conoco. His name was Jeff. Jeff was kind of between an agnostic and an atheist, if you can have something like that. That's kind of where he was. He was also very highly intelligent, very much a thinker. And that's one reason I think my father-in-law could pour into him. And so my father-in-law began to become friends with Jeff, even though he was quite a few years older than Jeff. And they began to run together at lunch. And my father-in-law would just kind of pour into him and talk about Jesus and, and just give him things gradually over time. Over time, Jeff agreed to come to one of their navigator study. That led to them coming more and more frequently, him and his wife. And that led to a point in time when he surrendered his life to Christ. And then his whole family became Christians. Jeff became a, a navigator's leader and life group teacher. He also became a deacon in the church. And my father-in-law's funeral, Jeff Myers was there. And, and Jeff stood up and he read a letter that he had written because he didn't know if he could get through it without the notes. And he talked about just what I've told you today. He talked about how my father-in-law just befriended him and poured into him and didn't push him away, but he accepted him for who he was, and he saw in him so much potential when Christ could get a hold of his life. And because of that, he became a Christian. And so who are you pouring into? Seriously, who are you pouring into? Who are you get giving life to? 
looking past maybe what they do, what they've said, how they live, to see them for what they are and what they can become with, when Christ gets a hold of their life. Who is that in your life? You see, we are called to be obedient. We are called to go and understand if we go, he will supply. It's not up to us. That's the good thing. It takes all the pressure off. We're just to be obedient and go, and God's going to bring the harvest. I want to close with these words by Bill Hybels, and I hope you just take them to heart. He writes, Jesus Christ knew that fulfilling his redemptive mission would be excruciatingly difficult, risky, downright defeating, and seemingly fruitless for us at times. But if you will just persevere, he would say the potential is colossal. Think of it. One more treasure, a precious human being, might be snatched from the clutches of a horrendous, lifeless eternity because of your work. So go. Go right now and bear witness. Sow the seed. Take the walk. Leave what's comfortable for that which is unknown, that which is eternally significant. Risk your life for this and know that you will never regret your decision. So here's the question of the hour. Are you going to continue to talk about why you can't fish or you're going to start fishing? What's it going to be? We've got a community and we've got a city. We've got neighbors. We've got people all around us. You have people every day that you come in contact with who need to have that introduction to the God who loves them. Are you going to be obedient and go and become fishers of men? Or are you just going to talk about why you can't? It's up to you. But the consequences for the kingdom are in your hands and mine. So here's what we're going to do. This is what we did in the first service. Some of you have already done this. Some of you are doing this. I've, I've heard stories, gotten emails from some of you. Some of you are already doing this, and you put this into practice in your life. That is awesome. And I would encourage you just to keep that up. But if you today are still in that kind of part-time, casual, shallow water area of your life. And you know it's time to move to the deep where the fish are. And where you can be obedient and learn obedience. And you want to become fishers of men and women. Then I just encourage you to come up here and join me. Because that's me. That's what I want. That's what I want to do. It's to be able to touch lives. To give people an introduction to the God who loves them. And so if that's you, then, then just come and stand here. Because we want to pray with you. It was cool. We had probably 10 or 12 maybe in the first that came up. Adam's going to come and play. But I just challenge you right now just to get up and come. Just get up and come and stand here with me. And say, yeah, it's me. I haven't done it. I need it. I want it. I need to, to get out of those shallows where things are comfortable and not risky. And I need, need to move to the deep so that people can be changed and hearts can be touched. So just come. 
Adam's going to play. We're going to reflect. And as he does, you just come and join these that are coming now.